0: Hey, it is Alex Pearson from On Point. What a busy day for the podcast. Toronto registered websites run by Al-Qaeda and the Taliban have been taken offline. We'll get the inside story about how they were up in the first place and why it was global news that had to take action. We'll speak with the CEO of the Centre for Israel and Jewish Affairs about this historic deal with Israel and the United Arab Emirates. It's a very, very big deal uh, in the Middle East. And then for a lighter finish, a massive 80s hit song back in the charts, thanks to a couple of twins who watched and listened to the tune on YouTube, the reaction says it all. But let's get you started on all the education chaos.
1: Immediately, I'm directing that boards will be able to invest nearly half a billion dollars in funding to support local priorities with a focus on greater social distancing in class. While many boards are already looking at utilizing out of school community spaces, this funding will also support them further to do that if it is required.
0: Half a billion in new spending for more staff, more space, new ventilation at Ontario schools and are the unions satisfied? Oh, hell no. I'm Alex Pearson with you on this Thursday, August 13th. What a day it's been. Here we go with uh, 26 days until two million kids head back to the class. And the Ford government is uh, opening up the vaults because, well, everyone's demanding that they do. So we've got money now for more space, more teachers, smaller classes. So you get that. And so Stephen Lecce, this is what he's allowing to happen. This is a one-time deal for the Ontario boards. Now allowed to use their rainy day funds, funds that are set aside for stuff like, you know, roof fixing, whatever stuff that they need and they can do whatever they want with this money. They can rent more space. They can uh, use empty schools. They can hire more teachers. They can do whatever they want as far as what they feel will address their safety needs. And this is something the boards asked for. The Durham board asked for this last week. And it's something the unions wanted a few days ago. And so, okay, here you go. The unions complain, well, not all boards have reserves. Okay, great. The provinces have now topped up all of the board reserves. So everyone's got money. On top of that, they are adding another $50 million for schools to upgrade their ventilation, which will have to be done very quickly. I'm not so sure that'll happen before school, but some schools already have it. But they're also, you know, schools can decide if they want to stagger school starts, they can, you know, maybe do some classes outside in, you know, in the fall when the weather's right. I mean, maybe they can just think outside the box, like the rest of the world has been forced to do during this time. And, you know, how do the unions feel about this? Well, without even hearing any details, not one detail, they push out a threat fifteen minutes before Minister Lecce even uttered one detail, declaring that the province had failed their legal right to health and safety because this just isn't enough. And with the unions, it's never enough
1: when everyone in this country is working together when everyone is pulling together to do what's right and collaborating in the interests of safety and the outlier seems to be uh, these uh the, the teacher unions obstructing and ultimately opposing it just isn't constructive and i don't think it's really the time to relitigate the challenges of the past and the debates of the past we've got to work together folks
0: yeah it would be nice right but you know This is a shell game. The unions want 15 kids per class, period. That's all they want. That's all they've wanted for over a decade. And high school kids are capped at 15 kids, but that's not enough because they want 15 kids in every class from kindergarten to grade 12. And the unions don't want the boards to spend how they feel best, be it more teachers for less students, or the space, or PPE, or more cleaning, or more janitors, better ventilation, public nurses. I could go on and on. No, no, no. That's not what they want. They want more teachers, less students, more union dues. So you see, it will never actually be enough because it's a shell game. And no matter what the province does, the unions and the paid parent groups will just keep moving the peanut.
1: Like most parents, I'm concerned that the
2: class sizes are going to be large and it will be difficult for teachers to, you know, to control the, the inevitable spread, I, f- I feel, of any, any, any infections, not just COVID. Um, and it, it's, it's concerning in the sense that the government and the boards have had time to figure this out and there is the money for it and they're
1: just not making it happen.
0: So so let me get this straight. So now the province has to make sure no germs of any kind are are spread, really? That's how this works? I'll agree with the fact that they've had more time to do this. They should have gotten a lot of this stuff done in the last five and a half months while we've all been losing our minds. But nonetheless, now they're supposed to make sure no germs are spread? You know, you see, they always kind of move the goalposts. I mean, all parents want to know is, are our kids going to be safe in three weeks? And the newsflash is, there is no such thing as that guarantee in life. But Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health was at this press conference today, and he says, you know, looking at the numbers right now, based on the community models, the data, the kids are as safe as they can be.
1: If there was any risk, I would not be recommending open at this time. But we are concerned there's a risk of not opening and that the students need to be back in those settings for many reasons that our experts and scientists are recommending as well. So therefore, at this time, I don't see those risks.
0: So there you go. I mean, bottom line, and I'm a mom too. I have my own concerns. Ultimately, it will be up to me and his dad if we send him back to school or not. We'll decide, you know, closer to the date on what the situation at hand is. But this pandemic has forced every industry on the planet to pivot, to change. So I don't know why education is any different. So all we get now is this whipped up hysteria. Now sure, could the province have moved on this sooner? Yeah, but it wouldn't have mattered. These groups would still find something else to complain about. And if you don't like this plan, great, keep your kid at home. Because not only did the province buy iPads for those who don't have them, online has now an additional $18 million, which was announced today for live learning. So students are gonna get 225 minutes every single day, all grades, of live teaching and extra support. So it won't be that crap we got in the fall. Okay. And we know back then that the unions didn't want that to work because they were sending letters to their members in the spring, telling the teachers do the bare minimum. Cause remember they don't want e-learning. So look, it may not be perfect. I get it, but we've got options. And if the unions choose to fight this or disrupt it because they expect billions to be dumped into school for spending, then I say, let's rip off the Band-Aid now. Let's just overhaul how we deliver education. Give parents a choice. Because if we, as the taxpayers, you know, if we can't count on the public system to deliver without the constant whining and threats of disruption, then give us a choice. We didn't need a pandemic to expose the the many failures in Ontario education. They've been open for a whole long time, whether it's the constant work disruptions, the cancelled sports programs, your kids failing math and English. You know, the kids know more about what Greta thinks than they do about math. I mean, public education today is more focused on putting kids on a path to social justice than actually preparing them for real life. So. If parent groups and unions want to keep putting up roadblocks, then I think the Ford government should use this opportunity to set a new education agenda altogether. Because it's already happening. There are parents all over the place. I talk to them. I hear about them. We read about them in the news. Behind the scenes, parents are looking elsewhere for education. Whether it's homeschooling, private tutoring, or these pandemic learning pods. I mean, parents aren't waiting for the decision makers to decide. They're going to decide for themselves. And if the unions are going to choose, you know, smaller class sizes as the hill they want to die on. Then that is a choice I think they're going to make and lose. But if parents have choice of whether they want to go to a, a charter school, hire a tutor, whatever. Then they'll get their smaller class sizes, see problem solved. But of course, it's not about that. They want the union dues and the hiring of more teachers. So I get it. Today's not perfect. I wish the province had moved a whole lot faster. But if we have not learned anything from this pandemic yet, it is that everything's unpredictable. Everything's going to change on the fly. And in three weeks, if we look anything like B.C., maybe we just won't be going back to school at all. So let's roll with the punches. Well, if the government is serious about stopping online radicalization, and that is what they tell us, then why did global news have to do the job of the police? The Trudeau government promised, including in the last election, that they'd be working with uh, the tech sector to tackle this issue. But now our global investigative news team is revealing a Toronto based tech company was virtually abandoned by police after it discovered and reported. It had provided domain registration services to not just a Pakistani Taliban group, but the Al-Qaeda, only to find out that when uh, they called the police, it didn't seem uh, anyone had any interest, not the RCMP. Just didn't seem that there was an urgency to respond to it. Stuart Bell joins us. He is our global news investigative reporter who broke this story. And it's a, a bit of a complicated story on first read, so I read it a few times. And this is a Toronto tech company called Two Cows, Inc. I think I'm saying it right. And yep. they they did everything that they're supposed to do they reported the threat They were worried that if they didn't uh, tell the police they didn't want to in, you know, get an interference into an investigation They didn't want to re- erase evidence, but then they heard nothing back
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know, just just for context to get started, uh, remember that um, you know online extremism uh, the use of uh, of Online platforms by terrorist organizations has become a really key um issue it's a it's considered a, a real driver of radicalization and violence you just have to look back just in the last five years at, <laughs> at the rise of isis and um you know you can you can see how they were able to exploit online platforms to spread their propaganda to and particularly to recruit and to incite attacks in western countries so you know this has been recognized as a real problem and the canadian government Especially since the New Zealand attacks last year has verbally committed uh, to cracking down on this uh, during the election Trudeau promised um, New regulations that re- require companies to take down terrorist propaganda and hate speech within 24 hours So the government has recognized it's, it's a real problem And rightly so but the issue here is what is actually being done on the ground? To to tackle this type of content and the story raises some real questions
0: Right. I mean, you know, it's not that the company did anything wrong by supplying a domain, um, you know address or provide that um, access because they don't know what the content is, but obviously They realized there was something wrong here. Uh, What was the propaganda that was being shown on these sites?
2: Well, there were two sites that were identified actually by the <coughs> Media Research Institute over the past couple of weeks. One was the um, the website of Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent, which is the South Asian affiliate of Al-Qaeda. Um, and it contained a lot of pro-Bin Laden propaganda, hate speech directed against Christians who were described as dogs and Jews, um, in you know incitement to to violence and the other website was that of the pakistani taliban which was quite similar in content um incitement to violence and uh you know and hate propaganda for sure um and so when these came to the attention of the company they actually you know they did well first of all as you said they um they came to the attention of this company in toronto not because of canadian authorities but it was actually when we phoned to ask about this. So that's one area where th- this system seems to have fallen down. And then uh, the company did what it was supposed to do, which was reach out to the RCMP um, and indicate that they wanted to take down these sites. Uh, and they ended up waiting and waiting. Um, and ultimately, uh, in in this one case, got no response and just decided to act on their own.
0: Right, which begs the question of how urgent does the government think this is? And and today we're hearing about al-Qaeda and Taliban, but we know domestically there are all sorts of things happening online where propaganda is being spread, where hate's being carried out, Um, and so you hope that the government and the police are on this kind of thing, but when you've got a company proactively Um, As well as research groups actively pointing out these threats and then the police not as much as even following up with a call It does give you pause for concern of actually how serious they take this
2: and as we just saw in fact uh, Terrorist organizations are using websites like this as well for fundraising the US today just dismantled uh, several websites that were uh, that were raising money uh, partly through scams in the US So there's a real um, there's a good reason for wanting to take these things down It just seems that in this case whatever um, There seems to be a real gap between the government's statements about how They are taking this seriously and investing money in research And what actually happens on the ground which is when a company identifies um, Terrorist websites and they're providing a service to them and these are both organizations that are on Canada's list of outlawed terrorist entities. Um, and so the company is, is kind of uh, in a difficult situation because they're providing a service to <laughs> to a terrorist organization. They they want uh, to take action on this. And the other thing to keep in mind here is that the RCMP has actually said that in cases like this, they don't necessarily want tech companies to take sites down. They want to first check and make sure that taking the site down won't interrupt any kind of operations that they have ongoing right so again the company did exactly what the rcmp wanted and it just seems whatever system whatever bureaucracy uh, went on after that initial phone call just took you know far too long and in one case it was seven days before the rcmp finally Got back to uh, to this company, and And so
0: yeah. yeah, Go ahead. I was just going to say because eventually they did remove and disable the domain, but but by then had the police actually got you know taken the information and gotten the the uh, whatever the domain was and and take what they need, or or was any of it lost?
2: Well, in both cases, uh, it was the companies. The companies were left on their own to deal with this. So, uh, two cows in Toronto had notified uh, a company in the States that was also uh, involved in the servicing of this one website um, and it was taken down. Now, again, speaking to the urgency of this whole thing, while they were doing that, this same terrorist group set up another website, which then had to be taken down again. And so, you know, the it, would, uh, it seems that there could be a much better way of doing these kind of things and doing them, much quicker uh, before they have the chance to do more damage.
0: Yeah, certainly I mean if these companies uh, if they want uh, you know The police want them to work with them and you know these companies will do their part But if they're getting you know completely ignored by it eventually they'll just remove this stuff Themselves because they don't want to get in trouble and therefore we leave this huge void of actual intel that could possibly uh, Stave off some kind of attack because we will get an attack at some point. It's just inevitable in today's world Uh, It's just troubling that it takes Global news and outside sources uh, to continually raise these red flags
2: Yeah, and again this company wanted to do things properly and responsibly so um, They let the police know they were going to take this down So that you know if the if the police had some reason that they didn't want it taken down for example Maybe they were conducting an investigation Mm -hmm. that was related related to that website and disabling it would have caused some problem for their investigation Again, they, they got no response and they just said, that's it, we're going to take it down. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be known as a as a company that's hosting terrorists. So we're going to have to act at some point.
0: Well, terrific work. Again, uh, our team, uh, Global News Investigative team does a lot of the heavy lifting and thank God for that because it doesn't seem like those in charge seem to want to do it. So Stuart, I thank your time and uh, good work. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is uh, Stuart Bell, and his piece is How the Toronto Registered Websites of Al Qaeda and the Pakistan Taliban Were Taken Down. And you can get that on our websites. Quite a read, quite a find. Well, it is a pretty historic step forward. Will it achieve peace in the Middle East? I think that remains to be seen. But Donald Trump there announcing that his government helped broker this deal that should hopefully normalize relations between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, a country Israel has had no relations with up until today. So what does it mean? Well, in the agreement, Israel will suspend plans to annex large parts of the occupied West Bank. That's Palestinian territory. And um, this is the third Arab state to sign such a deal with Israel. So the bigger picture here. Is uh, not just to normalize relations, but also because arab states are starting to realize that they have shared concerns Over iran's influence in the region shimon kofler fogel is ceo of seja the center for israel and jewish affairs I, I appreciate you joining us today Um, you know, there's lots of politics at play always we are in an election year But uh, from your view looking at this is this uh, to, to be seen as a success story
1: Oh, I think this is monster news um, and uh, actually very exciting, not just for Israel, uh, but for the region. Uh, I think that the Trump plan um, had always contemplated that there were two tracks that they were trying to pursue simultaneously. One was uh, to achieve some kind of resolution for the chronic uh, Israeli-Palestinian impasse. Uh, but as important, if not more important, uh, was trying to achieve a new reality for the region as a whole uh, that would allow countries to join with Israel, countries like uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, and Saudi Arabia, uh, not to mention, of course, Egypt and Jordan, which Mm -hmm. already enjoy peace agreements, but to be able to address Uh, regional challenges in uh, a much more collaborative way. Uh, It doesn't just have to do with things like conflict and the threat that Iran poses uh, to everybody in the region. Uh, It also uh, speaks to more constructive things. Uh, like uh, economic development, uh, even dealing with, as was mentioned today, uh, collaborative efforts uh, in addressing the challenge of COVID. Uh, So I think that this represents uh, a huge step forward, uh, and it reminds Palestinians, frankly, that um, they can either jump onto the train uh, or they can be left behind. Uh, there's a new window uh, for them to come to the table. Annexation has been put on uh, indefinite hold, uh, and that gives them uh, an opportunity to uh, hop onto the, onto the, uh, the railroad car uh, and to join in a constructive conversation about how to move from conflict and strife to peace and cooperation.
0: Right, and it gets very confusing for people who, who don't necessarily understand the region so much. But certainly um, the annexation issue comes up a lot. Uh, it is the big kind of political point um, that, that is played. But this is not particularly an area that had yet been annexed, uh, to my understanding. Um, and it's not known, really, if Israel would have gone through with that. But what does it mean for Palestine and, and ultimately leading to what we want, which is a two-state solution? Will they will they look at this favorably?
1: So the palestinians actually are expressing um, uh, Great uh, displeasure with the development today Um, They have for very long time uh, wanted to have uh, and effectively did uh, Exercise a veto uh, on arab world relations with israel Uh, the uae's declaration today uh, signals that De facto, that's no longer the case. Uh, So it's in that context that Palestinians have to recognize that time is not on their side. Uh, As far as annexation itself goes, uh, to be sure, it's been uh, recently a lightning rod for uh, controversy, uh, but it's actually, in the overall scheme of things, uh, not significant. Um, It didn't address land uh, that was currently. uh, serving as 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 um, uh, the home for anybody, it was it was empty land in what was called teri- uh, Territory C. Uh, so um, it it wasn't really significant, which is why Israel can set it aside and say, uh, in the interest of advancing uh, broader peace within the region, uh, we're prepared to put this on the side.
0: So where does it go from now? I mean, obviously, you know, continually you want to bring in more um, Arab nations, as the president pointed out, and no one will give, uh, just strictly based on politics, uh, Trump will will use this to his advantage. Not many, if you're a hater of Trump, will they give him, um, you know, credit for this. But he has made some very important moves in this region, whether you like him or hate him, that actually bode well uh, moving towards peace. Is that is that fair enough or, or is that uh, too generalized?
1: So no, I I I think that it's fair comment. Um, what the trump plan has done, uh is um, It's offered a new paradigm and and sort of broken the uh gridlock, uh that had uh, Really imposed itself on uh, Peace process and negotiations for really a couple of decades now remember You know, there were at least four formal offers to the palestinians Uh, in an effort to uh, achieve peace with israel none of them went anywhere and I think what what trump did was shake up uh, the status quo in a way that Really allowed for Excuse me other things to come into play. So I think that you're right. Um, there is a reasonable expectation Uh that other arab states in the region in the gulf bahrain sudan oman uh, could be next in terms of uh, uh Coming forward with announcements about new relations with Israel certainly Saudi Arabia would be uh, the big uh, the the big prize uh, in -hmm. terms of normalizing Israel's place within the region Uh, and it does offer some uh, protection for countries like Egypt uh, and Jordan uh, who have long felt a bit vulnerable because Uh, They had gone out ahead uh, in advance of the others. So I think that there is a template uh, for Palestinians and Israelis and others in the region uh, to sit around a table and uh, try and advance uh, their interests uh, in a way that isn't binary, uh, uh, meaning that uh, everybody could prove uh, to be a winner. Uh, And that's really what happened today. Uh, UAE is a winner. Israel is a winner. The U.S. is a winner. Uh, Palestinians have to choose whether they want to be on the winning side or not Uh, And we'll see what they do over the coming days and weeks
0: In your mind um, How important was it to get this deal done before uh, the election because uh, Donald Trump could very well lose the election? He has been a very good friend to Israel and a lot of people uh, Look at Biden as as more uh, favorable to let's say Iran just through their actions So how important was it to get this done before the November
1: election? Yeah, so I, th- I think that um, Biden would, um, uh, any day of the week, um, uh, identify himself as a close supporter of Israel. Um, and I think that there has been some exaggeration of uh, sort of the uh, polarization on these issues between Democrats and Republicans. I think the advantage of uh, that this happening now uh, is the more that can be achieved Uh, Over the coming weeks and months before the American election uh, The greater the likelihood that they will become entrenched in a way that would allow momentum to carry forward regardless of who occupies the White House, Uh, so I don't think that uh, a Biden uh, Administration would reject a lot of what uh, uh, Trump has done Uh, because if you did if you if you detach Donald Trump from the substance of the issues, uh, there's a lot of agreement about the uh, merit and utility of some of the initiatives that he's put forward. Uh, and, and certainly within the region, there has been pretty much uniform uh, support. Uh, for the kind of initiatives that Jason Greenblatt and Jared Kushner um, have been advancing over the last three years.
0: Well, it's an historic day, and uh, my fingers crossed that it leads to more good things. But uh, I saw the headline. I thought, yeah, we got to talk about that. Shimon, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate this. All the best. That is Shimon Kofler-Fogel with the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs. So we will keep our eye on that one. And again, when it comes to Trump, you give credit where it's due. Let's give him credit. This is a good move today to rose, so strangers
1: oh, to you and me, I'm sleeping on me, let's wake them up, you heard felt like y'all sleeping on me, let's wake him up. Come hey, on, you ain't cool. Hey, that was cool. Hey, that was cool. I got downloaded this to my that phone. That was cool. How you do no that? Lie. I ain't gonna lie, cool. yeah, You got me I on that. Never seen it nobody got me on, that drop, me on that one, man. Hey, never seen nobody you drop a beat like three that. minutes <laughs> in a song. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped a beat in the, the song, <laughs> man. I'm <laughs> dead, <laughs> man. Hey, that's funny. That was good, man. That's that's good, man. Good, that's 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 unique. More ain't never seen that. Is true. I never seen somebody drop a beat on the end of the song. That's crazy. What it?
0: Yeah, that is, uh, this is one of those uh, pieces. This is one of those items that radio really does not do justice to. And it's so funny that the more you watch it, the funnier it gets. But this moment involving two young black twin brothers uh, has put 39 year old classic Phil Collins song back in the charts to where it now sits number two and it's getting all sorts of new ears and I mean, who you heard their talk it was tim and fred william they're both 22 years old they're youtube stars and i guess part of their um their thing is they they, they get requests to listen to classics on their channel and then they give their reaction that happened with dolly parton's uh, jolene and they just listened to it and kind of freaked out but then someone sent them phil collins and they had never heard this song and so they had no idea what was coming. So they're sitting there in their chair and they're kind of like, you know, because it's a buildup for a good know, three minutes. And then the drum solo hits and the look on their faces is just, it's just, you got to see it if you haven't. And then it explodes. Uh, let's bring in Eric Alper, freelance music publicist, Sirius XM host, shameless idealist and a lifeline music holic. Good to have you, Eric.
3: Good to have you too, Alex. I love that video. It is so
0: contagious that, like, I was playing it this morning and my husband said, What are you watching? And he came in, and then he starts watching it, and then he started sending it around. And it's been viewed like three and a half million times now.
3: Yeah, it's about three and a half million on YouTube and it's about 25 million on Twitter alone. So people are sharing it. And I think part of it is just that, you know, wouldn't it be really cool to be able to reread your favorite book for the first time or watch a movie like the godfather or star wars for the first time and some of us get that opportunity when we're hanging out with our kids and they get to watch something for the first time and we feel their excitement because we know what's coming and that's exactly what that drum solo at about three minutes 20 seconds we know it's coming and their their exuberant faces are just such a joy to watch too
0: and it's very clear it's not their genre of music, so it's not something that they would listen to. And and so it's nice when you see younger generations um, from different backgrounds kind of picking up on something that was obviously a huge song. I mean, if you like Phil Collins or Genesis, and I love Genesis, uh, you know, you know good music, so it's always nice to share that, but... I mean, this thing has just catapulted these guys uh, into stardom. I mean, they're getting offers all over the place. But I was curious, like, it, the song is back on the charts to a whole new audience. And and I haven't heard anything from Phil Collins. Does he even know?
3: Um, I, I would imagine that he knows. And I would probably think that he's very busy writing out a very large check with the number one followed by several zeros because that's exactly what's going to be happening to him. And it's funny because, you know, Phil Collins, you know, he gets the knock for being so omnipresent during the 80s. And in fact, he used to call radio stations privately and beg them to stop playing his music because every single station was playing hit after hit after hit. But hip-hop and rap music have had a really great relationship with him. Certainly, he's been sampled hundreds, if not dozens of times with his drum sound and his eerie vocals or his atmospheric music so there's been that relationship but i think in the time of coronavirus where you know it's depressing and we're isolated and there's nothing but doom and gloom outside when you think about politics um to to realize that there's a whole generation below us in terms of ages that are rediscovering classic music that we helped create and make it those hits is is great because we all grew up with Bart Simpson being mean to his parents or South Park but and you know generations that came under us seem to always get a bad rap and this is one that definitely brought generations and millions of people together.
0: Yeah and and I think you know this is obviously going to go somewhere for them either they're going to get some kind of TV show or just their YouTube channel will just kind of become a thing for for artists to send their music but it really only works for certain for certain songs like I was trying to think like what song I might send them like the who's behind uh, blue eyes because again you get that build up it's really the songs that kind of take you on a ride it's not like you I don't know if they get off on Def Lepp or anything, but there are certain songs that you could yeah. send to a younger person. They go, "Wow, I, n- I just never saw that coming." Yeah, and even maybe though Zeppelin. Have dozens
3: and dozens of, of videos online. Um, you know, you mentioned at the top with Dolly Parton, Jolene, or or Stevie Wonder's songs or Bon Jovi's songs. Nothing's really hitting to this effect I mean those videos have 50,000 views and stuff like that but nothing in the in the tens of millions but I'm guessing every single record label around the world is offering them you know everything from money to products in order to listen to their song and make their song another hit too I mean they're influencers in the true sense of the word now where the Kardashians can make a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars per post there's no reason why these two twins can't can't do the same thing. And I bet you they probably are right now.
0: Yeah, has that song been sampled before? Because it's a very samplable song. I mean, you, you they could easily do something with that.
3: Yeah, there, there's a couple of artists that have done it. Um, there's, uh, um, I, I think that one of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan have tried That's to right. sample that. But I think it's also too close. Like, you want to try, you know, part of the, the, the whole fun of sampling is to kind of follow in the footsteps of something like the Beastie Boys, where they stretched and they moved and they sped up and they slowed down A song or a bit of a song or a guitar riff that is very familiar, but they make it into their own. I think that those drum beats and that drum solo and that drum fill in in the air tonight is so recognizable. Mm -hmm. It's almost like cheating. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like if you're an artist and you do a verse, but you use somebody else's chorus. It's almost like, eh, that's, that's simple, you know? The hard part is writing the chorus. The hard part is writing the memorable part of it. Um, but I, I I would imagine that that somebody is probably using a beat. You know, just like with Old Town Road, it took weeks yeah. until people yeah. realized that, that the Nine Inch Nails sample yeah. was actually in there in the first place.
0: There's hope for the young at this point. It gives <laughs> me hope.
3: All right, Eric,
0: I'm up against the clock, but I appreciate you joining us. Thank you.
3: Great. Thanks so much for having me, Alice.
0: And if you haven't seen the video, it is so worth your time because it is so, so funny, and they are so infectious. Totally worth it. That's your podcast for today. Of course, join us live Monday to Friday for On Point. We start at 6.30 right through 10. I'm Alex Pearson.